I've never heard a person walk out of the stadium and say, wow, I wish that game would have included more waiting. He is an endless source of baseball and hockey knowledge. Jose Berrios, el lanzador de Puerto Rico en el Clásico Mundial de Béisbol. John Morosi, every week with Wyman and Bob. You're being serious with me right now? Always being serious with this guy. Serious business. Talking baseball with one of the best in the business. He's with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. He is John Morosi. How are you, man? Outstanding, gentlemen. Uh, great to be with you. My, my daughter has now walked in. Luisa, sweetheart, I need, I need you to go find your sister, okay? Daddy? <laughs> okay, daddy's on the radio. Love you, sweetheart. Uh, bye-bye. Bye, Luisa. <laughs> See, th- this is what can sometimes happen when uh, when only one parent is home and that one parent is on the radio and... Sometimes uh, the kids want to come say hello, which is which I treasure, and so Whoa. I appreciate that very much from Lulu. We Thank get you. a little, uh, we get a little look into your life there, JP. Live we love parenting. that. Yeah, <laughs> live parenting. Well, what you what you get is a look at what I would say that I do uh, a great many days whenever I'm home, which is drive the minivan around town, going to different activities. And and uh, my my one little uh, the big headline of the day is that my my middle daughter. Somehow, in the one hour that we spent uh, at the dojo during her judo class, seemed to lose her shoes. And so it's, I said, sweetheart, it's like 25 degrees outside. She said, well, Dad, can you carry me? I said, yeah, sure. You're, you're nine now. But, I, yeah, I'm more than happy to my, my shoeless nine-year-old who <laughs> lost her shoes. And so, oh, okay, yes, yes. Okay, sweetheart. Okay, goodbye, sweetheart. You're good. You've got to go man. to journalism school for a long time before you can have it, before you can be on the show, okay? All right. This Get is an earful from this her. This is good stuff, man. And, <laughs> oh and JP, so uncool driving around in a minivan. Yeah. <laughs> I, but you know what? I take ownership of it because it has become part of my my ethos and a little bit of my identity as well. There you Love go. It. You're a dad. Embrace it. Love Amen. it. There you go. Uh, John, what do, what do we make of the Cody Bellinger deal? It seems like it's essentially a $30 million one-year deal. He can opt out after that if things go really well. If they go poorly, he can uh, maintain a $30 million salary for the following season and then opt out again if he wants. If it doesn't go well, he'll get an additional 20 in the third season. And I saw the quotes from Scott Boris, who was trying to explain why it wasn't what everybody thought. He said there are variables. We have some irregularity going on in the current market. We have close to 11 teams that are spending less money than they did a year ago in light of the fact we have record revenues in baseball. It is a very unique time in the game. There's no question about that. And I think part of it for a number of teams, and, and the Mariners are one of them, uh, part of the reason has been the the media rights uncertainty. And, and I think part of it is that, teams when they look at their long-range planning and if you're going to invest in Bellinger or Snell or Montgomery or Chapman these are longer-term investments and I think that the general climate for a number of owners is uncertain and when uncertainty hits you you tend to not spend as much money as you used to and I think that is in a larger sense what's happening right now in, in Major League Baseball at an individual ball club level now we could argue, and, and it's a very reasonable argument, that when you point out the, the revenues from central baseball, other sources of revenue that, that should be able to boost spending, and, and indeed look at a team like the Kansas City Royals and, and the investments that they've made this offseason, not just the extension for Bobby Witt Jr., but Lugo and Waka. And so I, I think it is important to point out that at, at the end of the day, these are individual team decisions. You're having multiple teams uh, look at the signals and – and discern that they need to 
hold their resources for now and and not spend. And I think what you're going to see now is the competitive advantage belonging to those teams that are willing to spend. The, the Texas Rangers do not win the World Series last year without Seager and Semyon. The Houston Astros don't keep this streak going of ALCS appearances and win a couple World Series along the way without investing heavily in free agency. You you can, it is possible to be a continually competitive team without spending big in free agency. It's possible, but it's a lot harder. And I think recent history shows you look down the line with the possible exceptions of the early 2010s Giants, who really had a little bit of Barry Zito's, the, the end of his career, and then Buster Posey as he was getting good, but still in the, in the controllable years of his career. Most teams that win the World Series have some superstars they acquired in free agency, at least in very selective spots. And I think you're just you're seeing right now a, a moment in time where there are certainly haves and have-nots in the baseball industry. Some of that is out of the control of the owners, and some of it isn't. Hey, JP, uh, we were just talking about Brant Brown, who uh, the, the Mariners hired as their so-called offensive coordinator. And, you know, we were just kind of fascinated by that. And he gave us a few answers. You know, we heard from uh, an interview that he did. But um, how many teams in Major League Baseball have somebody like that? And and what is what tends to be the, the full scope of, of what they are paying attention to just during a game and, and when they practice? You know, it's a really interesting question. And Brant Brown, of course, had the experience with the Dodgers, so he was schooled in, in one of the more avant-garde and open-minded organizations in recent years in terms of the way the Dodgers used their information. And I think this was, to loop back for a moment to your previous question about spending, There are there is a school of thought that says if you're not necessarily going to spend $30 million on Cody Bellinger, well, can I find a way to get Dominic Canzone 10% better and Marlowe 10% better? Maybe there's a breakout there and Rojas 10% better and, and round out your club. Well, if you can do that by hiring the best coach you can find, certainly it's not going to cost you $30 million. Yeah. And, and so I, I do think that staffing up has become one of the more popular ways that teams are comfortable spending money. And you've seen, if you just call up the the listing of a staff, uh, go to MLB.com, Mariners.com, and just read through the number of different coaches they have on, on their staff. When I started covering baseball, you had a pitching coach and a bullpen coach and a hitting coach and a first-base coach, third-base coach, maybe a, a specialized outfield or infield instructor, but that was it. Uh, and, and a bench coach, of course. Now you've got multiple hitting coaches, multiple pitching coaches. And, and actually, I, I had a conversation when I was in Tigers camp a couple weeks ago with Jack Flaherty about how there are different, you can go to different pitching coaches if you need something that's a bit more mechanical or maybe something that's more confidence related I had, I had a very similar conversation with a with a player in, in Blue Jays camp about a, again very similar situation there where they have Don Mattingly as their offensive coordinator of course we've all heard of Donnie and then multiple hitting coaches underneath him and there are some players even of this new generation who don't love overly analytical approaches they'd rather have feel and say let's for this round let's focus on where your chin is or where where your follow-through back shoulder is coming 
those types of things are much more they can, they can be informed by analytics but they're a little bit more old school and feel related and i think that when you have an offensive coordinator it almost conveys and, and communicates to the, to the team and to everybody that this is a complicated job this notion of hitting a baseball in the major leagues <laughs> and and underneath the offensive coordinator you're going to have maybe a hitting coach and an assistant hitting coach or two hitting coaches however you want to describe it hitting strategist that's also been mentioned um and i think it really speaks to the reality that of the 13 position players on a team not all of them will speak the same hitting language as the main hitting coach you have to have people that meet those players where they are and I know that Brant Brown was with the Dodgers during a time, and you think about uh, some different players who at different points of their career, like J.D. Martinez when he was with Boston, filming his BP and then watching it back before the game even starts. You never would have seen that 15 years ago. And and now it's commonplace, and J.D., I think, has started to really begin that movement of sorts. And, and Brant Brown, very highly regarded. I, I do think that in terms of a staff hiring he was the right person to hire for what the Mariners needed entering 2024. Hey, real quick. I'm sorry, Bob. Uh, but how many I, – I asked you a double-barrel question. I'm sorry. How many teams do you think have an offensive coordinator? It's a great question. I, I would say probably it, it might be around 10. That's just my, my general yeah. estimate off the top of my head. But I would say this. 30 have more hitting coaches than they had 10 years ago. It is – I, I would bet if you went through the directory and, and maybe as as my homework assignment for next week, I will do this, um, and actually see how many different titles the hitting coaches have. Yeah. Quality control, that's another, that's, and, and that's a big job. That may sound like it's a little amorphous as to what exactly the quality control coach does. Matt Quattraro, who's now the manager of the Royals, had that job in Tampa Bay. That was his, that was his job. He was the quality control coach. And so that words and phrases that we might not have heard of before. I look at Milwaukee as well. They hired Pat Murphy, who, of course, was a former Pac-12 head coach at, at Arizona State, now had, for a long time was the bench coach to Craig Council in Milwaukee. They hire Murphy as the manager, and Ricky Weeks, longtime former All-Star infielder, is the associate manager. Mm. And that, again, is not really a title that we would have seen uh, in, in recent years. But I think teams are getting very clever about ways that they can add talent to their coaching staffs and, and get the most out of players who, who really come at this very difficult job of hitting a baseball from myriad backgrounds and I think re- require just as many different approaches to get the most out of their swings. We were talking earlier about the slow starts for this team coming out of the gates and a lot of players and, and people will point to the weather and the the heavy marine layer. The ball doesn't carry and, you know, home runs that would be tend to die on the warning track. And to me, I'm looking at it going, all right, well, then don't you have to change your approach? Don't you have to sort of look at it and say, all right, for April and maybe May going into June, we're going to focus on getting the game in motion, small ball, getting getting some action on the base paths and maybe have a different mental approach up there. Mm. Looking at this team, does it feel like they've assembled that kind of team? They, they've got let, they cut down on the swing and miss when they got rid of uh, Gino Suarez and Teoscar and Kelnick. There's a lot of swing and miss, so now you got more contact in the lineup. We'll see what the speed looks like. I'm not sure if they're going to be a big stolen base team, but does this look like a team that – at least coming out of the gates, that where Scott Service could make the concerted effort to focus on, hey, you know what? Every once in a while, well, somebody's going to have to lay down a bunt. They're going to have to learn how to execute a freaking bunt. 
Yes. <laughs> it, it, it is, I do think, a better team than what they had. In terms of that that quality, the, the well-roundedness, the ability to execute right now than they maybe had a year ago. It, and I think that that's why the Kelnick trade, and I'm sure we'll talk about it and revisit it at different times, because the, the way that we, the, the lens we use to look at the Kelnick deal will probably shift over time. But one one part of it, in addition to looking at the, the salary implications and, and why it made sense financially for the Mariners at that point in time, was the Mariners simply could not wait any longer for him to figure it out on a more consistent basis in terms of putting the ball in play and, and being able to have, as you're describing, those situational at-bats. The, he may, he probably will, over the fullness of time, be a more complete player than a Luke Rayleigh. He's got the higher ceiling, perhaps. But right now, they needed Luke Rayleigh, and they needed uh, Mitch Hanniger to come back. They needed what Mitch Garver gives them, Jorge Polanco gives them. Uh, I, I do think you're going to see a team that understands a bit more, again, new voice as the offensive coordinator, really half of the lineup, was not part of this team when last season started. If you think about a potential opening day lineup, it, it could, depending on if it's a lefty or righty, it could include Canzone, Rojas, Hanniger, Rayleigh, Garver, Polanco, that's I just named five or six guys that were not part of this organization at last year's before last year's trade deadline, if you want to go back like one calendar year. So they've they've changed out a lot of pieces. And I'm sure uh, without putting words in Scott's mouth, I'm sure that's been a huge focus about getting off to a better start and it's obviously everybody wants to have a good start, but you're you're not going to allow this team. You can't really let them work into the season and kind of feel their way through April. Last April, they went 12 and 16, and that cost them a playoff berth. It did. If they if they go 14 and 14, they're, they're just 500. They're in the playoffs. Yeah. And and so that's where you look at segments of time. There's no just kind of easing into this. There can't be. And, and I expect Julio is going to be better this year. And that's where. As much as there's probably concern, you would have loved to have seen them make a real move at Otani or someone else that, like Ballinger, that could have been a, a, a tremendously lineup-changing element uh, of the club, and we all understand that. But if Julio, who described last week as, as having a sophomore slump, uh, what was still a, a top-five MVP type of a season, if, if he's going to get even better, He's the kind of guy that can erase a lot of shortcomings. And uh, I, I look for him to be better from the very beginning of the season. And even when, for a player that talented, when he's just a little bit more consistently brilliant, and he's always he's brilliant, but I think consistently so, will change a lot. And you think back to some of the losing streaks. They had a four-game losing streak last April, another three-game losing streak, actually two three-game losing streaks uh, last April. So there's... That's where they lost the division. When you look back, that was where it happened. We didn't know it at the time, but that's where it happened. And, and I think that uh, a smoother start with some more veteran bats who put the ball in play more often is going to be a, a great way to begin 2024 for the Mariners. It's funny because the way the the season ended, it felt, and, and right now, it felt like we were way out of the race. When really, when you talk about just a couple games, uh, you right. know, here and there. So, hey, uh, yesterday we got a chance to talk to Tanner Stokey, who uh, is down at Driveline. And, you know, we we're talking about JP and Ty France going down there. And how many, uh, I, I'm not sure, 
I don't want to ask you for an exact number, but like how prominent is this? These things seem to be popping up and it seemed like, you know, talking to Tanner that driveline has just exploded over the last uh, few few years just because of the results and great advertising, you know. But um, as far as, you know, around the country, how many how many types of, of these just in general you think there are? Is there is there one in every city or is this just kind of uh, one of the, the spots where there happens to be an academy like this where pro ball players can go and work on their their pitching and their hitting? Well, you in the Pacific Northwest are very fortunate because you're right there at, at the ground level of, of the place. It is the lab, whether you're a pitcher, hitter, when, when you are at those important inflection moments of your career, coming off of an injury or needing to make a team uh, about to undergo a swing change or a delivery change as a pitcher, and you need the, the technical and mechanical instructional support, you go to driveline. There's another place uh, that's, that's being built up in, in North Carolina that's similar in a lot of ways in the southeast to what's happening at, at driveline, but really driveline is one of one. And yeah. and there's a reason why, we talked about it last year, why Shohei spent a couple off-seasons living in Seattle. It's because he wanted to work out a driveline. And and that, to me, speaks volumes. When you got you have somebody who is as in sync with his biomechanics as Shohei is, and others who have visited driveline, it's a it's a real element, and it's obviously something where players will pay for the service. and And if you feel like at the end of the day it's going to make you a better player and help you earn more money, it's worth the investment. And certainly, you you know, Dave, that experience of being a pro athlete, how finite your amount of time is to to make to make your money in the in the industry. And I think that yeah. you're seeing a lot of players trust those really important off seasons to driveline. And so I I would expect that if you were able to tour there sometime in December, January, you'd probably see a couple all-stars, a couple guys you've never heard of, and, and some guys that are fighting to, to stay in the big leagues. And it'd be a real group of, of unique personalities and stories. But we often joke this time of year that we get the best shape of your life stories. Well, now it's I'm in the best shape of my life and I went to driveline and I got a new cutter and a new sinker or a new <laughs> a new slurve or a new splinker or some of these new pitches that have been designed splinker. and developed. That's the, the splinker is the the splinker is the combination splitter and sinker. That's, oh, that's, I'm, I got to make sense. sure I get that right. So uh, yeah, so so that is now a firm part of the baseball lexicon. If you walked into a clubhouse and said who went to driveline in here right now, I would say probably at least 10% of of every person in a in a major league clubhouse has either been to driveline itself or a place like driveline yeah. uh maybe closer to where they live i mean it is it is a huge part of the current baseball ethos bob and i are going down there good get, get our swing and, and and you know what i'll be there to write the story about you guys being in the best shape of your life uh bob bob is going to add a splinker yes right dave That's is right. going to add a slurve and a and also a a, a really good two seamer and you're going to be competing for a, a a spot on the Mariners bullpen. Hey, uh, now that that uh, Cody Bellinger has signed, uh, there's just three of the four Boris men, as they've been calling them, uh, out there on the market. What do you see? You know, and he talked about how the market's a little odd with 11 teams spending less and all that. So what what's what do you think happens with Snell? I keep seeing people trying to attach him to the Yankees, and it sounds like the Yankees aren't that interested. And you got Montgomery and certainly Matt Chapman out there. So what what do you think happens with these three? 
It's a great question, and I, I do think that we've seen the re- the reports this week about the Giants having some injuries in, in their camp with their rotation, and they're probably still trying to divine just how serious those concerns are. Uh, Keaton Wynn is is one is one pitcher who's had a, a little bit of an issue here lately, and so if if you now arrive to spring training without the amount of starting depth that you hope to have then that's where maybe there's a bit of a pressure point and, and you make that phone call to Scott Boris. I would also say that uh, Michael Lorenzen, who is not a, not a Boris client, is still out there and available, and he had a pretty good season last year, made the All-Star team. He was in Seattle for, for the, the Midsummer Classic. So there are, there are now teams, the Angels are probably another one, who have some, some pitching concerns that are trying to be competitive, and, and they are now assessing what they've got internally, I don't think, for example, that this will happen, but the Blue Jays just had a very a very concerning, at least in terms of the, the near-term results, um, outing from Alec Manoa. Again, it's early, and I think Alec has plenty of time to bounce back, but that's a good example where if you're not really sure what Alec can give you, if he has a couple other outings that aren't very good in, in spring training, do you then make the phone call and say, okay, I could do a one-year deal? I think, to me, the one-year deals or, or the shorter-term deals, a similar structure like what Bellinger got, that's going to be out there for these guys, whether it's the Yankees, Giants, Angels. It's a little difficult to know exactly where it's coming from. The Yankees, though, remember, if they sign Snell – that's it's basically double the cost because of, of the luxury tax. So it's a big expense. Uh, the Yankees were very embarrassed, I think, at how they played last year, and there's a real resolve to come back and and, and make amends. Uh, there has been, I've seen comments from Juan Soto recently recently about how much he would love to have Blake Snell on his, on his team again. So thank you, sweetheart. And, uh, and so I, I think that that's, that's a really good uh, an option for, for Snell and the Yankees to get together if, if of course, uh, they're, they're willing to pay that exorbitant luxury tax cost to be able to sign him. John Morosi doing it all, talking baseball, waxing poetic about what's going on in the world of baseball while parenting at the same time. Yeah, I, I usually remember to lock the door on my office <laughs> because of exact moments like this. Uh, and, uh, and guys, I got to tell you, I just forgot today, and, right. and so we had a little appearance from Lulu. Uh, her, her her cousin Dylan might be listening right now, and so maybe maybe Dylan is excited to see again Lulu up up in up in Green Lake. So no, I I appreciate you guys bearing with me on that. It's it's part of the working parent uh, vibe, which which I'm very proud to have. No, we're we're proud to have you every week. So very uh, impressive, JP. Very <laughs> impressive. As always, great stuff, man. We appreciate it. Have a have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk next week. All the best, guys. Can't wait to watch another week of Mariner games. We'll, we'll be checking in a week from now. Can't wait. Sweet. Thanks, John. Thanks so much. There you go. John Morosi with us each and every week, even uh, parenting at the same time. That's very – like I just – He's much nicer than I was as a parent. He's I mean, just like, rolling through what he was saying yeah. about about the contracts and the one year and the thank you very much, sweetheart. And then he just yeah. keeps rolling. He's, just, he's a machine. Mine would have been, get out. Get out. What did I tell you? <laughs> Yeah, that would have that would have been a different set of uh, set of words used there. All right, coming up, Seahawks roster could undergo big changes over these next few months. We're going to hear about some of those in best of the rest. Coming up with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Wyman and Bob, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. 
good news. Brock Hewitt's been located. He's alive and well. Well, thank God. Oh, I, thank God. I texted him. I'm like, you okay, bro? And he said, CTE. <laughs> I'm just glad we can keep making fun of him. Yeah. It's, I was actually, we made fun of him enough. And I was like, oh, uh-oh, maybe something's wrong. No, we'll, uh, we'll resume making fun of him. No, nothing's wrong outside of his memory. Apparently, that's, yeah. that's the only problem here. I forgot. I know we're about to talk about other shows here, but I, we've been getting texts that Mara apparently killed a rabbit on the uh, golf course. Did the rabbit die or did it just... The ball hit the rabbit, and the rabbit scurried off into the bushes. That's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, I'm hoping for that, and I'm hoping, yeah, for her sake. You yeah. don't want to have to have that on your conscience. You want to live with Cute that. Cute little bunny. Yeah, nobody wins. Nobody wins with that. That's terrible. Um, so, yeah, uh, apparently we'll maybe we'll talk to Brock tomorrow if he can find it in his schedule somewhere. We'll try to lock that down. Meanwhile, let's do best of the rest. We know you love listening to us, but there are great discussions happening all over our station. I need more Jake Bobo. I need more of them. Because Jake Bobo is objectively fun to say. Yeah, I'm just not good at bats. Let's turn it down. It's time for the best of the rest. How dare you? <laughs> best of the rest. We take a listen to conversations happening on the other shows and respond accordingly. And one of the bigger topics we've, we've had out there, Dave, is... is uh, Coach McDonald, Mike McDonald's uh, response to Aaron Levine asking him if if Gino and Drew Locke were going to be the quarterbacks with his team moving forward. And at the time, this, again, took place before the guarantee kicked in for Gino's contract. Uh, but it's become a talking point. And his, his answer was very noncommittal. Just, you know, I can't really answer that right now. We'll have to see. You know, so that that created a lot of conversation out there. And Bump and Stacy were talking about this uh, yesterday. Here's what they had to say. And that was what a couple of days before Gino yes. got that yeah, what, like twelve point seven or something, right? So I think Mike's looking at the situation and saying, "I don't know enough about Gino. I'm just trying to get my coaching staff together at this point. I'm going to lean on John when he comes to this. I'm not even thinking that far ahead. I, I think that he, I think in that moment he feels like Gino's going to be the guy, but he goes, what, for the next two or three years? I'm not sure right now. There's so many things I would imagine Mike McDonald's is trying to get done in that facility. And like little things too, like where's the desk going to be? Or who do I talk to for this or that? Logistics is crazy right now. So I think that that was an honest answer. I think he looks at Gino. Gino's 33 years old. Um, he had his second best year in the league this year. And I know it was a down year from 2022, still his second best year in the league. And he goes, from what I see, I like this guy. But as far as two, three years from now, I'm not sure there's still more I need to figure out. I kind of thought the same thing. I thought it was more of like, a, I have to be careful about what I say because this isn't my decision. I mean, it was one thing for Pete Carroll to say, Gino's our guy. Because Pete gets to decide, along with John, whether or not Gino's the guy. McDonald doesn't. He also didn't know, like you mentioned, rightfully, what the financial situation would be because that's also not his decision. Michael Sean Dugar of The Athletic quotes, John Schneider says he sees Geno Smith as the Seahawks' starting quarterback. Says, quote, he's the starter until he's not. That's maybe the most definitive answer I've heard about Geno Smith from anyone in the new regime or even from John Schneider. Did Bump say he was trying to figure out where to put his desk? So yeah, he's, where did, he's, he's trying to figure out, you know, he's the new guy. He's trying to figure out where everything is and where, where do I put my desk? Like that was one of his major decisions. When you get hired somewhere, do you bring your own desk? I don't think so. But <laughs> I'm kidding. I uh, well, I, I thought here's one thing that's interesting and maybe some people um, wouldn't read something into this. But Mike McDonald, he went over and talked to Gino. 
I can't remember if it was after the game or before the game. I think it was before the game because Gino probably was not in a very good mood uh, after they played the Ravens. But Mike McDonald went over and and told him how much he appreciated him and thought that he was a good quarterback and that he was doing a really good job. And, you know, that's not something that you typically do. So I I think, you know, just to – just weighing, like, how does he feel? We don't really know, but – I feel like he's okay with Geno Smith and and pretty pretty excited about it. I, I don't think that D coordinators necessarily go across the, the field and say things like that. So I think as far as you're trying to get a read on, on it, I, I feel like that, that tips the scales a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's – I, I, I kind of understand, you know, some people on social media were taking it to a different level, like, you know, Geno deserves better than this. And I'm thinking, well, better than what? He, I mean – I didn't take it as a slight, but in 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 one regard, I get that they wanted more of a. Well, yeah, he's our quarterback. I mean, would, I don't understand the question. He's signed. He's our quarterback. Drew would have been the more interesting one because he's not signed, so he could have said, "Well, I don't know what his future is. He's technically not on our team right now. He's a free agent." But would I, I understand wanting to hear a more definitive response as, yeah. to, as to Gino? But I don't think it was disrespectful or doing him a disservice. Is is somewhere sort of portraying it as being I did I didn't take it that way, and he's he's I don't know that Gino took it that way, but it's it is uh it is an interesting topic only because it continues and then especially going into next season more that's when to me it gets very interesting because of the the cap hit that he represents thirty eight point five million dollars mm-hmm. that then you start going all right is this are we able to do this? Did they draft a young quarterback? We'll see if they draft a quarterback this year, all that. Uh, so that next year becomes the truly interesting year, whereas this year it felt like, yeah, he's not going anywhere. They don't have any other options. He's been good. So I don't. I didn't, didn't feel like there'd be a question as to whether he'd be here or not, but for some it was. Uh, meanwhile, uh, yesterday Salk and that other guy were talking about uh, the conflicting messages and how the Seahawks say they want to build their team. If the Seahawks wanted to be a team and said they wanted to be a team that was wide open, throwing the ball, super aggressive, right, I would say don't trade DK Metcalf. Build around him. Mm-hmm. He's, he's one of the top wide receivers in the game. And if that's the thing that's most important to you and your philosophy, then you should go out and make sure that you have all the right pieces to succeed doing that game plan. Okay. You can win that way in the NFL. It's not necessarily the way I would choose to do it, but okay. When you say that you want a team that is built on the line of scrimmage, you know what I think your team should do? It should be built on the line of scrimmage. There Stand are that. market conditions that are outside. Hey, man, I got my philosophy. I yes. got my theology. I got all my ologies. And I would sure love Salt to do everything that you talk about and build it all at the line of scrimmage and all that. But, you know, there is a market. There is a draft. Mm-hmm. There are commodities only available at certain spots. And you know what? I want that talent. And, and I'll the, take and, that and talent. And you really want to be a line of scrimmage team? Then you can't have three safeties that are highly paid mm-hmm. and no Leonard Williams. Mm-hmm. You really want to be a line of scrimmage team? then it's really difficult to pay your wide receivers and have, you know, two second round running backs, but not have enough talent on your offensive line. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just talking a little discussion there about how, you know, where to dedicate your resources. And we talked to John about uh, the free agent thing. And he said, you know, sometimes when you're trying to fill holes, you can get a little bit too aggressive and then it eats up your salary cap. So, 
the whole thing is uh, is just a, a big dance uh, again. Do you feel like they've been building the team in they've they've paid the safeties, they've paid the wide receivers, and they've done it at the expense of the trenches? Yeah, I guess I haven't really looked at it that way. I mean, first of all, the first you know you've got two tackles that were they're on their rookie contract, so mm-hmm. you don't really worry about that. And there's been a top ten pick on one of them. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that that's that's true, but I don't know. I I feel like the the offensive line it's the interior part um, first of all, and then you know and I think the whole big the whole thing kind of um, it, it's it's around Leo Leonard Williams as as to whether or not you're going to pay him a, a big amount if you're talking about line of scrimmage. That's the that's the big question, but. I don't know, man. You talk about that, and you talk about like the receivers. I feel like you know we're we're pretty set at receiver if everything is okay with Tyler Lockett. But to me, I still just think linebacker. Linebacker is very very important. So I think every team wants to build their their t- their team around the line of scrimmage. I mean, yeah. I mean that that's that's how you win football games. It's kind of like you know when Service talks about you know pitching and defense. Yeah. You know, those are those are the solid parts of, of your team that you can work on and get better at. And yeah, so to me, I, I think that's that's every team. Well, and they and they've they went out and got Leonard Williams. They went out and got Jaron Reed. They, they they went out and got Draymond Jones. They, they they've brought mm-hmm. it now. What you can argue whether these guys have lived up to it or li- not lived up to the expectations. That's a different conversation. But I don't think they've ignored it by any stretch. I think they've they've made moves to to address the shortcomings. They. You know, they they draft a guard in in Bradford. They they spend a top ten pick on Cross. Abe Lucas is a guy who you know his knee is problematic. We'll see. Hopefully mm-hmm. the, the you know what he had done will rectify the problem. But it seems like you, if he's healthy, you've got your tackles. The interior, yeah, you could argue maybe they could have gone you know bigger on their center. They, the, the, maybe they went for more of a bargain. Evan Brown on their center spot, but they also drafted a fifth round uh, center from from Michigan and Oluwatimi. So. They've spent draft capital there. Yeah, I guess you could argue they should have spent more. There, maybe there were there are some guards they should have gone after, or a center that was you know exponentially better than Brown. Guard seems like a big question mark. Yeah, those two. Unless unless Bradford really takes that next step. Yeah, and becomes one of your guys there. So we'll see. All right, coming up, uh, one new NFL head coach had a pretty honest admission about the reason he was hired. We're going to hear about that when we sweep the dial. Coming up with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten. Scanning the airwaves for the most interesting and entertaining stories of the day. Sweeping the dial every afternoon at 445 with Wyman and Bob. We have uh, seen the issues with the new baseball pants this year. We've heard about them. We've unfortunately seen the images. You guys talked about the bulkiness in there. So uh, Brock and Salk this morning asked Cal Raleigh about those see-through pants. And he says, yeah, he's heard a lot about it, too. How many <laughs> how many of your buddies texted you to make fun of you a lot <laughs> <laughs> too many too how many. many of them suggested that you were nude in public there i got like a little there's like a meme of like a simpson guy and like he was like staring through a foggy window they're saying like mm-hmm. you know things are trying to get out and i'm like that's not that's not what we want i mean mm-hmm Oh, uh, Cal, that's not what we want. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> wants that. How do, it, talk about a massive screw-up, though. How was that not caught somewhere along the way from design to production to distribution it? to the players? And somehow in, yeah. in that in that chain of events, nobody nobody went, oh, you can kind of see through these. I mean, didn't they have people like model them? Like, yeah. time, let's see how they look on somebody your size. And 
Sometimes things look different outside than inside. You know, um, with the uh, more natural light, you yeah. can see a lot more. Um, that that might be part of it. I don't know. I like that Mike called it. I said lumpy. Mike said oh. bulky. <laughs> Couldn't remember the exact term. It was something, you know, along those lines. Yeah. Sweeping the dial. Well, this was interesting. So yesterday, uh, New Falcons head coach Raheem Morris was doing his combine turn at the podium, and he was pretty honest. He was pretty brutally honest in assessing the quality of the Falcons quarterbacks. If we had better quarterback play last year in Atlanta, I might not be standing here. And they would have the ability to be talking about those things. But right now, if we can focus on some of those things and do some of that, I think that'll give us the best chance to go out there and win football games. Well, Raheem, I think it's a compliment to the rest of your players, right? I mean, we're just one quarterback away, but um, <laughs> that's, that's pretty... I'm sure Desmond Ritter's sitting there going, oh, thanks, man. Thanks a lot, cool. Coach. Second, my first full season, he only played four games. I'm looking at his stats. So he played 15 games this past season. It wasn't great. Completed 64.2% of his passes, 2,800 yards, 12 touchdowns, 12 picks. That's a, he was, uh, if that had been a longer season, we'd have been achieving uh, Jameis Winston numbers. Yeah. A little 30-30 year on the, on the horizon. But, I mean, he's not wrong. It's not great, but it's just interesting that he's like, well, quarterback. Thank goodness he was so stinky. I got this job. <laughs> well, and I, I, you know, you could say, well, he's a rookie head coach. No, he's not. He's He's been a head coach before. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's a tremendous compliment, maybe, to uh, the rest of the team. Um, but, yeah, that's uh, it's one of those things. I wonder how many times that, you know, if you're a coach these days and something like that, you blurt it out. You're just human, right? I mean, obviously, you're qualified to and you, you should know those kinds of things but i wonder how much communication is going on you know like he says a comment like that and then he texts a couple of his quarterbacks saying hey guys sorry i didn't really mean it to, to sound that way it sounded I mean, you were awful but i shouldn't have said that publicly yeah <laughs> it sounded better in my head because they then, had i was looking at their passing numbers so desmond ritter was their primary guy as we said, 12 touchdowns, 12 picks. Taylor Heineke played in five games. He had five touchdowns, four picks, completing 54.4% of his passes. Uh, then you had uh, wide receiver throw a couple balls. Drake London, you had Logan Woodside uh, go out there. He was th three for four in uh, no touchdowns, one pick. <laughs> Do you remember the, the joke that the professor would make about Heineke? No. He's a beer. He's a he's not a quarterback. He's a beer. Like, John, it's, a, it's no good, John. God Can't bless you. Quarterback. He's a bear, Dave. <laughs> Sweeping the dial. Well, Chiefs wide receiver Nicole Hardman was a Super Bowl hero. You know, he had that game-winning touchdown. But he spent the first part of the season with the Jets, and he was on the, the Pivot podcast with Ryan Clark, and Hardman absolutely slammed the Jets culture. Y'all treat certain guys that shouldn't be treated like they should be treated. And I just feel like it's not an established coaching staff there as well like you just got a new coach staff that came in it's no standard there it's like everybody do what they want to do and defense have a more of a stabilized standard with that with the coaching staff on that side so you could tell the defense got a standard but the offense is just like all right we'll just figure it out it's Aaron show let Aaron do what Aaron do you know what I mean but then when Aaron go down it's like we don't know what to do but this is that same coach staff that just was out of a job the previous year and then just get a new job. Y'all can't tell me about winning. I've been to four Super Bowls in five years. You know what I'm saying? Now, you feel me? But beforehand, I told I've been to four NC championships. I've been to three Super Bowls. I've won two of them. I know what winning looks like. Right. I know what winning is. So y'all keep telling me certain things. It's like, I'm not going for that. Like, because y'all not doing it right. 
Mm. <laughs> Boy, he threw uh, Nathaniel Hackett under the bus, didn't he? So Sounds just, like uh, nobody was throwing him the ball. Well, that, that was part of it, too. He talked about being checked out and, you know, that he wasn't part of their game plan at all. And, and then he throws. He's talking about, well, you know, defense is more stabilized. Offense, once Aaron went down, we didn't know what to do. We got that coach who was out of a job. He's talking about Nathaniel Hackett. Yeah. You know, that was uh, compared to how that started uh, with um, hard knocks. Yeah. You know, it really looked like it was going to be a fantastic. I mean, I actually thought Robert Sala's uh, speech in the beginning about the the crows falling to the earth was kind of cool. And it seemed like they had pretty good culture. And even Aaron Rodgers, you thought, yeah, yeah, he looks like he's, you know, being a leader there. He was talking to guys about not sitting just with your team, you know, your friends, sit with everybody on the team, all that stuff. It looked all looked good. And yeah, that's according to McCole Hardman. Now he is a wide receiver, and you do you're reliant on people to other people's jobs get accomplished. You know, blocking and the quarterback getting you the ball. So I think uh, we, if you would ask me, what position does this guy play? Not knowing, I would have said wide receiver. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to say, well, he is a wide receiver, so he's going to pop off. That's what they do. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that's another way of saying there's, it. There's that stereotype that yeah. they often live up to, unfortunately. But, but man, he's. But, but, you know, we got Tyler Lockett and DK and Michael Bumpus. I mean, they're not, <laughs> not divas. They're not divas at all, man. They're they're like you skip over JSN right to Michael Bumpus. We yeah. got Tyler, we got DK, and then we got Bumpus. <laughs> uh, he was a rookie. You know, we don't even know. We don't know anything about JSN. We know uh, about Bump. <laughs> oh, yeah. They, we, you know, and yeah, Doug Baldwin before that. And, and you've had a, you've had a nice, nice group of receivers who by all by all intents seem to be completely selfless sydney rice yeah super good dude just i'm trying to think of a receiver they've had that complained about not getting the ball because even yeah. dk his blow-ups have not been about i'm not getting the ball get me the ball. that that has not been his no. his emotional outburst it's usually him fighting with the other team yeah he's angry at people not at the quarterback um I don't know. Somebody brought up Paul Richardson the other day. Yeah. I remember him getting a, a cut on his hand, and they wanted to take him in. He said, only if you stitch it up and let me come back out. And he came back out and caught a game-winning touchdown. I mean, yeah, they've they've had good luck. At, at, yeah. A lot of people, though, would disagree about DK. I know a lot of people come up and say, well, I think he's a diva. And I think I'm like, no, he's fighting the other team. Yeah. He doesn't fight his teammates. Have we ever heard a moment of him complaining about targets? Never. And of course not Tyler Lockett. So, yeah. and then Bobo seems super cool, and he's happy JS, to be there, man. Jason, just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a good, good, good group. group. All right, sweeping the dial is powered by Seattle University men's basketball. Coming up, we'll get some interesting perspective on how the combine is slightly different this year for the Seahawks. Bob Condota is there in person. He of the Seattle Times will join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on Seven Ten.